the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Entering hour number three of the George Show, Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George Brockler here on News Talk 710 KNUS. Of course, host of the Jimmy Sangenberger Show every Saturday morning from 6 to 9. So that means we will be up tomorrow morning, dark and early. Looking forward to continuing the conversation then. What a fascinating hour with retired Brigadier General Doug Slocum, fighter pilot for the Air Force, 35-year career veteran, call sign Odie, by the way. That's a fun little tidbit about him. And I have to say that the insights that he was able to bring were varied. And we were talking with the guys here at the studio uh, off air about how a fighter pilot really brings a unique perspective to these kinds of things. And it really, really showed. We'll talk in a few minutes about the interview with General Slocum, along with you at 303-696-1971, and I'll get some reaction from Bill Thorpe as well on the other side of the glass. But let's go to the phones at 303-696-1971 with Lynn in Denver. Good morning, Lynn. How are you? I'm great, Jimmy. How are you? I am doing just fine, thank you. What's going on? Well, just a reminder, my husband Greg and I met you um, at the Tommy Castro Yes, show. yes, That's absolutely. I remember you. It was great meeting you. <laughs> Wasn't that a great show? That was a lot of fun. It was wonderful, yes. And I have to actually run into work. But what I wanted to say, I just heard the end of General Slocum's interview um, so many callers to the show and experts and everything say the Ukraine, or worse, the Ukraine. And it hasn't been called that since 1991. It's a sovereign nation, uh, and calling it the is a Soviet construct to minimize mm. its status as a so, uh, sovereign nation. And, you know, any other country that had, was consistently mislabeled, that just wouldn't fly. That's an interesting take. Uh, I haven't heard somebody point that out yet, Lynn, so I appreciate you uh, bringing that up. To me, I always just call it Ukraine. Maybe that's because it's been, for almost pretty much my entire life, it's been Ukraine, not the Ukraine. I think you're you're making an interesting observation. Maybe for some people, it's just stuck in their head as lingo. They're used to saying the Ukraine, and so they continue to say it and don't really think much of it. Maybe there are some who have more malicious intent or who would be like, okay, no, I'm sort of adopting the Russian viewpoint. But for most Americans, I don't think that's the case. My guess is it's just something from the lingo that they've used, and they haven't thought otherwise of it. Yeah, oh, I, I agree. But when when I hear experts doing that, mm. and uh, one host that was subbing for Steph, one, one host that subbed for Steph and consistently said, the Ukraine, mm. and, and that's, a mis- that's an intentional mispronunciation of the country's mm. name. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, we just got back from there from a humanitarian trip. And, oh, and really? We're a little sensitive. 
Lynn, yeah. you'll you'll have to call back in sometime when you have more time because I would love to get your perspective on what's going on on the ground in Ukraine. Sure. So, love to. Definitely. Hey, thank you. It was great seeing you guys at the Tommy Castro concert. Give my best to Greg. I sure will. Thanks so much. Thank you. 303-696-1971 is our telephone number if you want to join in to the program. Yeah, I always love that. Tommy Castro's a, a blues man who came to town. In fact, he has an album called Blues Man. A blues man came to town. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and just a tremendous show. I got actually not even a couple of weeks ago. Last Friday, we could go today, um, and I had the opportunity to sit in with him on harmonica and met a handful of listeners there, which is always great. Three zero three six nine six nineteen seventy one. Our telephone number. You can text into the show on the seven ten KNUS app on your smartphone. Name in town. Name in town, please, if you wish to text in. Uh, A couple of texts here. One, the attack on Israel was horrific. So is the horrific war against Ukraine. Why is the outrage over Israel so much greater? This is Suze from Denver. I think that's an interesting question. I would say that it probably relates more to the longstanding relationship and closeness between the U.S. and Israel, that it has to do with the fact that we have for decades and decades had that expectation that we will be there for Israel, that they are our ally, that we have this close bond and relationship. I think that there is also a... uh, So actually, I'll expand on that and say there's this understanding that our support is necessary for Israel, whereas Ukraine is a different situation for a lot of Americans who don't really understand the connection there or what is going on in terms of its significance to the global stage and to American policy interests. It's easier to see that for Israel, but also it's the only Jewish state. And there is this very close and significant bond between Christians and Jews. And there is that relationship inherently that I think comes into play. So when you see this attack, you see Americans recoil and say, we need to be there and support you. But we also see the barbarism, the level of barbarism on display and how vicious it really is with Hamas, a kind of barbarism that we did see on September 11th, 2001. So for a lot of Americans, I think there's a more visceral connection. Oh, jihadist terrorism. We know what that's like. We experienced it on 9-11-01 and in wars since then. And so I think there's a a real connection between the U.S. and Israel on a number of levels that probably explains how the outrage over Israel in the United States is greater. If you look over in Europe, their concern over Ukraine is especially pronounced. Now, it also is in Israel, France and Germany as two examples of countries deeply concerned about Israel. Uh, Bibi Netanyahu just met with the chancellor of Germany, for example. So there is a significance there. But in terms of Ukraine, they know in Europe what the implications are of a country like Ukraine falling. I remember when I was a year ago in Ukraine or in Taiwan and I met a couple of journalists from um, the, the press tour that I was on. A couple of journalists who were from 
the Czech Republic and from Bulgaria who grew up in the former Soviet Union and who understood and were fearful of the prospect of Russia taking over Ukraine. And if that were to happen, then the dominoes that would fall are, in their mind, real. Especially given the ambitions of Vladimir Putin to be a 21st century Peter the Great. 303-696-1971, our telephone number. Let's go next to Frank in Golden. Good morning, Frank. You're on with Jimmy in for George. Hey, Jimmy. Um, hey, I, I'm recognizing that there's a lot bigger uh, problems in the world and some more immediate issues, but I don't know if anybody's mentioned or noticed that Sidney Powell apparently cut a deal and rolled over on, on the RICO case in Georgia. We talked is, about it course, a little bit yesterday, it, actually, um, on the program, you? particularly in the 9 o'clock hour after the news broke with syndicated columnist Ruben Navarrete, and we may touch on it again in the next couple of hours. Uh, well, what are your thoughts, yeah. Frank, on that real quick? Oh, I, th- I think this is spells some real trouble for, you know, uh, Donald Trump and the rest of the cult. I mean, I think that, I think that obviously, whenever when you have a criminal defendant, a, a group of criminal defendants charged in a RICO situation like this, as soon as one goes away, caves in, rolls over, however you want to describe it, I think it was more or less that she didn't cut a deal; she just she just surrendered. Mm-hmm. But uh, it creates obviously. <laughs> a lot more pressure on everybody else involved and makes their cases much, much more hard to defend. It was a plea deal, and I think that they had worked out some of the specifics. She doesn't have jail time. She's got... Um, uh, you know, probation and fines and so forth. So there, there was definitely a deal there. She didn't just say, "Hey, I'm turning myself in and leaving it at that." She reached a plea deal, but no, she I mean, pled guilty. Surrender. I mean, okay. there's no there's sure. No, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. surrendered with terms. Um, but it, it's obvious now that there's these other defendants are all going to point in a direction. And that phone call to the Georgia Secretary of State is yeah, really it's not gonna, good. It, no. no, I mean, this is this is a problem. And uh, I don't you know, I, I just I haven't heard a whole lot about it because obviously there's bigger, bigger problems. Yeah, right I, I know the 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 amount of news going on this week and stories is staggering. But we did hit on it yesterday, and here we are, Frank, yep. touching on it again with you. Thanks for the call; I appreciate it. Yep, three zero three six nine six nineteen seventy one. Our telephone number. You're welcome to call in on the topic of the Sidney Powell uh, plea deal. Remember, this is the lawyer for Trump who. Had the Kraken she was going to release. And then she had the Kraken she was going to release. She was going to prove everything, and it never happened. And here she is reaching a plea deal yesterday in the Georgia case. Of course, we spent the last hour talking with General Slocum about the war in Gaza. And one of the points that he raised was how interwoven all of these things are. When you look at Hamas and Hezbollah and you look at Iran and their role and you see what's happening now with the U.S. Navy warship near Yemen intercepting multiple missiles that were potentially fired toward Israel, we've got a wider scope of things that are going on. And I I think his insights were excellent in terms of some of the tactical pieces here. And he called it a Kobayashi Maru 
scenario for Israel. And that really is that's a a no win scenario. Uh, It harkens back, as Bill and I were talking off air as well, to uh, Star Trek and the Kobayashi Maru scenario where uh, Captain Kirk was able to manipulate the scenario to his advantage so that he could win the simulation. But this is the real world. It's a different story. Uh, Bill, I would love to get your reaction a little bit to uh, General Slocum as well, because there was just so much that we packed into that conversation. I strongly encourage folks who missed it to go back to the podcast for the 7 o'clock hour. But one of the things that was especially striking to me was how many challenges, as he laid out, Israel really does have, even though they have tremendous capabilities and experience fighting against these terrorists. Yeah, I've been I've been a little surprised um, given how many challenges the U.S. faced in fighting an urban type of warfare in Iraq and to a lesser extent in Afghanistan. I've been very surprised how many people are just thinking, well, Israel's just got to go in there and crush him right now. Right. This is simple. As if we're playing some sort of an old-fashioned board game of Stratego. That's not what we're doing. And this is much more difficult, especially as the general um, laid out, that how Gaza is set up is different strategically than a usual urban combat scenario because they have built for this. They have built to make sure the civilians and the civilian infrastructure provides a barrier. So they have gone in this specifically. You're not, going, you're not just going house to house looking for insurgents. You're going to have to go underground. You're going to have to figure out where tunnels go. There is a system they've set up in anticipation of this. They've already planned for this game, and now you're coming into it late. Um, I appreciated that. I appreciated uh, the idea and, and how he approached intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, because that has been my feeling, is you got to wonder, the IDF is one of the most advanced complex and efficient intelligence gathering organizations on the planet they are ridiculously good at it better in some areas in my opinion than even we are they have some advantages and they've done some stuff that we only would dream of being able to do but they miss this how could they be so blind and what i really appreciated is when he talked about how low tech hamas went in order to start the attacks and how to get everything across the line. And that's been my thought. Again, I'm not saying that I'm right, but I was, I was, my thought was the reason Israel lost this and missed this attack was because they ignored the low-tech information they were getting. They had leaned too far into the high-tech. They weren't seeing things on Discord channels. They weren't seeing emails. They weren't seeing a lot of electronic communications and files passed between each other, where... Hamas, in my opinion, went very old school. This was a person-to-person passing probably written notes and stacks of paper to people and getting together because you know, Gaza is a small area, getting very easy to concentrate all the players that you need into an, a meeting or getting everybody in charge of those players in a meeting, in a room, somewhere underground. That's very easy tactically. And I just am convinced that Israel missed a lot of the low-tech signs yeah. that this was coming, just like we did with 9-11. Well, we didn't realize 
That's a little weird when the guys are learning to fly the planes and they don't want to land. Right. I mean, we missed that. That is an easy, easy catch, but we missed that low-tech solution. Yeah, well, one of the things that he pointed out and really emphasized was how so much of this, especially given that technology and the Internet, is really a PR battle. And that hospital was a prime example where Islamic Jihad misfires a rocket. It hits this hospital, but the stories out there with the Hamas propaganda that this was Israel and that it was done in an intentional attack to kill hundreds and hundreds of innocent Palestinians and the cats out of the bag in a way that isn't true. It's not actually the case that that happened, but turning back that clock when it's already out there, especially when you have so many in the media that have done a terrible job in terms of correcting the record on this, allowing it to spread, I mean, it is such a crucial point that he raised about the what he called the PR battle or lawfare. I, I go into uh, Stephen Colbert, and when this is previous to when he was being the night host, when he was doing his Bill O'Reilly impression. The Colbert Report. Yep, and he was talking about it being truthiness, that mm-hmm. as long as it feels right, it is truth to you. Yes. And he brought that type of an idea up, and that's what we are experiencing here. And that's what you're seeing because it is truthiness on the Arab front because they don't want to believe that someone that they side with or sympathize with would make a mistake that would lead to these kind of deaths. It is much easier to believe the people that you want eradicated off the planet and the country that you don't want to exist. They're the evil ones in this. You're already, you already believe they are. So it is much easier to get to that point than it is to get to, um, to what actually happened. And the problem being... It doesn't matter how much information Israel puts out. doesn't matter how much information the United States puts out. It doesn't matter how much any information any other nation puts out, even an Arab nation, because the first thing they're going to do is say, well, that can be manipulated. Don't you know about movies and CGIs? The Americans can do anything they want. We've seen the Hollywood movies. We've seen them make superheroes fly through the sky. Right. They can make this. This is obviously done, and they, and they did this just to make us feel bad. They will ignore it based on that. And for everyone that's saying, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that would happen. Oh, my gosh, why can't the Arabs open their eyes? I got two words for you. Election fraud. Mm. How many times in this country Mm. did we have things that were postulated, things that were supposed to have happened? And then when information came forward and directly contradicted those those conclusions, people made up an excuse. That wasn't obviously it. They manipulated that. We were shown, we were shown in Georgia that Giuliani and the president's lawyers manipulated video to make it look like people were putting boxes of ballots under a table and then pulling them out later to make the election fraudulent. Georgia and election officials walked people through the full video. You can see the full video and watch what happens with the ballots. Right. You can see the boxes. They have been verified and checked. But that didn't matter because as soon as someone was confronted with the idea that what they believed they saw was in true, they then made up another excuse. Right. And they still ignored. I still get phone calls over here on this phone about people using the boxes under the desks in Georgia as an example years after it was proven to be a lie. So before we sit there and say, how come the Arab world is believing this election fraud. Uh, well, and I I will never forget when I had uh, Tina Peters in studio during her primary run for Secretary of State on my Saturday show, and 
I I pressed her on some of the facts in the reports that she claimed had been put out uh, with proof, proof, and she could not address in any way directly any of the claims that I was pushing back on, and then threatened to walk out of the interview it, after that segment. And then yeah. uh, it was it was strike. Uh, the only time I've ever had somebody threatened to, to walk out of an interview was with uh, Tina Peters. And it was because she brought it up. I had to push back. Yeah. And she didn't have any response. And that was one of the lead purveyors of these conspiracy theories. It's just like the, the movie 2000 Mules. I still get that one as well. Despite the fact that the director has openly admitted on these airwaves that in that movie, there is no proof of a single fraudulent ballot being cast. Not a proof of a single ballot being cast. Not proof of these supposed mules making these trips more than once. The premise was faulty, but I still get phone calls about it. So well, and that's your, why. Your, your point that, okay, then you have the, the, the world and the dynamics in the Middle East in play and these videos and the claims that are made. And, yeah, it's an interesting point that y- – you have to be able to recognize, okay, I get how they can have this perception and how it will stick. Yeah. And it, he was good. I, I also liked some of the idea of some of the strategy about how Israel needs to approach but not come in necessarily with a sledgehammer. You can't come in there and say, okay, we're going to start this ground offensive, Hulk smash. Yeah, he made the point about yeah. uh, 1991 in the Gulf War yep. that for the U.S., before they put folks on the ground, troops on the ground, you had this air focus that lasted as long as they needed to before yeah. they said, okay, it's time where we can put the invasion forces on the ground. Yep. And that's been very interesting for me because I've been very curious about because it's a small geographic area. Why the air power from the Israelis? I mean, it, why the overwhelming? And it seems to me, again, I'm, I'm not a military strategist, but the dangers of collateral damage and turning hearts and minds because of that collateral damage, to me, outweighs the use of it on Israel's mm-hmm. side. But after hearing his explanation as to why and what you need uh, in in preview to the ground war it makes sense yeah that totally that now that sets right in my mind now i understand because before i was viewing it as israel making a pr blunder and not necessarily advancing their goals that much but now i see it i I get it now i see why this is advancing their goal and setting the table for a potential invasion it makes sense and that's why having a guy with a keen tactical mind and such in-depth experience as general slocum is so helpful that's for darn sure I'm Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George Brockler. Thank you, Billy, for chiming in this morning. What are your thoughts? 303-696-1971. There's a lot of news of the day. You can text in on the 710K and US app on your smartphone. Name in town, name in town. If you wish to, text in, please. We'll pick up the conversation on the other side. Jimmy in for George, 710KNUS. Rocking back, Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler. 35 minutes after seven after 8 o'clock. News Talk 710-KNUS. Thanks for joining us. It's going to be a hot one today. We are talking sunny and 83 degrees as we get into the latter half of October more concretely. Good to be with you 
along for the ride here on the program. 303-696-1971, our telephone number. Listener text coming in as well via the 710K US app on your smartphone. Please, name in town, name in town if you wish to text in. You've mentioned the link between Saudi diplomacy. That would be the possibility of normalizing relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel. And Hamas attacks. How could they have been planned? How could they have planned such an attack for that day? So what we know is that this has been in the works for two years. So it's not like they cooked up all the specifics within 24 hours. They had it planned within two years. When you have an operation ready to go, it's just a matter of when you decide to give the go-ahead. And I think that there are multiple reasons why that weekend was the right weekend. You had multiple Jewish holidays, right weekend from their twisted mindset, because you had multiple Jewish holidays. You had um, the and, and you had the Saudi dynamic here. I mean, within a week, what happened? Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, put out a statement saying he was putting these negotiations on, high, on ice. It happened. They got what they wanted in that regard. And certainly it was a piece of the plan from early on. Because when we look at Iran's motivations here, I mean, the the rivalry is between Iran and Saudi Arabia. That's a significant rivalry here. In fact, we see it playing out in a proxy war in Yemen between the government there and the Houthi rebels. The Houthis are backed by Iran, and the government there is backed by Saudi Arabia. There's a proxy war going on between those two. It has there's a lot of complications and complexities in terms of why this is the case. It has to do a lot with Sunnis versus Shias and the um, in terms of the sects of Islam. But when we look at the rivalry and the power structure, Iran is the power the 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 sort of Shia hegemon and Saudi Arabia is the Sunni hegemon. But it's bigger than this. Because let's go back to the Abraham Accords. The Trump administration comes in, they recognize a couple of things. One, the way that they have approached Mideast policy at the federal level, that the U.S. government has approached Mideast policy, hasn't worked, particularly as it relates to Israel and the Arab countries. What they also recognize is that there were a lot of back-channel conversations that were going on at the time already between Israel and Arab states because of Iran and because of the Iranian nuclear deal that failed, that Obama put into place. So the Trump administration said, okay, what can we do here? Well, let's go to Saudi Arabia and say, hey, is it okay? Well, Saudi Arabia and other other Arab countries, is it possible to reach deals with Israel? We want to bolster you against Iran because of your concerns. We're withdrawing from the Iranian nuclear deal. We're showing you that we're on your side in this vis-a-vis Iran. What can we do to bring about normalization of relations that were already starting to happen a little bit behind closed doors in back-channel discussions? And then it grew from there, and we ultimately had the Abraham Accords with the United Arab Emirates, Morocco, several Arab countries— 
that made peace with Israel. And that's concerning to Iran because that means that they don't have this common enemy in Israel that they did before. Because the real common enemy for Israel and the Arab countries is Iran. It's the old Arab proverb, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And the common enemy in this case is Iran. And so you have the dynamics that we've seen unfold over the past few years. And then Saudi Arabia increasingly is open to normalizing relations with Israel, to actually forming relations that have never been in place before. And so Iran is concerned about that. And of course, they are going to want to act through their proxies, Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, the Houthis in Yemen, in whatever way to prevent that peace from happening. That's a peace. That's not the only thing. There are multiple facets to this, of course. It's a multifaceted, multilayered issue. But there is a key piece of this that has to do with the Saudi diplomacy, and the timing is more than a coincidence. But that doesn't mean that the planning happened overnight. It happened for a couple of years. They wanted to send a clear message to Saudi Arabia, don't do this, and put them on the spot. You really want to choose Israel over Muslims? That's the idea here in the region that's significant. And that's why it really does matter. Now, last night, President Biden spoke in a 17-minute address, 16 minutes or so, about Israel as well as Ukraine. And he made this particular case about why Israel and Ukraine both matter. I know these conflicts can seem far away. And it's natural to ask, why does this matter to America? Let me share with you why making sure Israel and Ukraine succeed is vital for America's national security. You know, history has taught us that when terrorists don't pay a price for their terror, when dictators don't pay a price for their aggression, they cause more chaos and death and more destruction. They keep going, and the cost and the threats to America and the world keep rising. So if we don't stop Putin's appetite for power and control in Ukraine, he won't limit himself just to Ukraine. He's, Putin's already threatened to remind, quote, remind Poland that their Western land was a gift from Russia. One of his top advisors, a former president of Russia, has called Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania Russia's Baltic provinces. These are all NATO allies. For 75 years, NATO has kept peace in Europe and has been the cornerstone of American security. And if Putin attacks a NATO ally, we will defend every inch of NATO which the treaty requires and calls for. We'll have something that we do not seek. Make it clear, we do not seek. We do not seek to have American troops fighting in Russia or fighting against Russia. And he compared Hamas and Putin. Hamas and Putin represent different threats, but they share this in common. They both want to completely annihilate a neighboring democracy, completely annihilate it. What do you make of the connection, the bridge that Biden brought between Israel and Ukraine in his speech last night? Should it have been solely about Israel or did it make sense for him to finally make a case 
at least somewhat, to the American people directly in a primetime speech for why we need to continue our involvement with in and support for Ukraine. What are your thoughts on that? 303-696-1971. You can text in 710K and US app. Name in town, name in town if you wish to do so, please. We're going to take a break. On the other side, we'll pick up the conversation. Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler here on Denver's Local Talk Leader. News Talk 710 KNUS. Nine minutes before nine o'clock, Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George Brockler this morning. News Talk 710 KNUS happening now on the House floor. Former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy is giving his speech nominating Jim Jordan for Speaker in the third round of voting. Isn't this really interesting? Just seeing McCarthy, who was just deposed as Speaker just a couple of weeks ago, now nominating the guy who is struggling mightily to become Speaker of the House. Will Republicans sew this up? What is going to happen? We will see and we will discuss more in the next hour. But when we went to break, we played a couple of clips of Biden explaining the connection between American support for Israel and American support for Ukraine. Here's another little sample of that. American leadership is what holds the world together. American alliances will keep us, America, safe. American values are what make us a partner that other nations want to work with. To put all that at risk, if we walk away from Ukraine, if we turn our backs on Israel, it's just not worth it. That's why tomorrow I'm going to send to Congress an urgent budget request to fund America's national security needs, to support our critical partners, including Israel and Ukraine. Is a smart investment that's going to pay dividends for American security for generations. Help us keep American troops out of harm's way. Help us build a world that is safer, more peaceful, more prosperous for our children and grandchildren. Why do this? Listen or text 710KNUS app. Biden is declaring Ukraine and Gaza the same conflict. Not sure that's a good strategy. I'm not hearing him saying that Ukraine and Israel... And what's happening in those allies and our support for both countries is the same, the same conflict. What he is doing is connecting the two in terms of their significance to American interests, in terms of national security, and in terms of the need to support those who are fighting for freedom and independence. That is true. He is not wrong at all in connecting those two. But let's talk about the strategy. Why did Biden do this? There are a couple of reasons. One, as I suggested before, he has not really made the case, at least in quite a while, to the American people for why our involvement in Ukraine and our support for Ukrainian independence from Russia is so crucial. He needed to make that case in a primetime address. Last night provided the opportunity, especially because there is a connection between those battles. They are different, and our reasons for supporting Israel are on some level different from Ukraine, especially when we are talking about the jihadist aspects with Israel and with it being 
the Jewish state, the one Jewish state and our long-term ally going back since the formation of Israel in the late 1940s. And other, other dynamics, of course, that are in play. But even so, there is a connection between the two in terms of freedom, in terms of the struggle against tyr- tyranny and the struggle against brutality. Hamas and Putin represent different threats, but they share this in common. They both want to completely annihilate a neighboring democracy, completely annihilate it. So you need to be fighting that fight. Listen or texting in. That's the same in my mind. Okay, fair enough. You want to say that that's the same conflict. But the important thing is that Biden is making that connection because the American people need to know why we are supporting two countries at this moment in their wars. But the other thing, this is the political tactic here. Biden knows that the Republicans do not have a Speaker of the House. Maybe McCarthy's speech will win the day. He is praising Jim Jordan right now on the floor of the House during their debate and discussion over Speaker of the House and what to do next. But if Republicans don't get it together, then Biden's going to be able to say, look, I told you about the connections between Israel and Ukraine and why both of those wars matter to American interests and why we need to support them as our allies. And the Republicans don't have a leader in place, a Speaker of the House, to be able to get that aid to those countries. Putting Republicans in a box last night. Putting Republicans in a box. We're going to go out to the break listening to a little bit of Kevin McCarthy on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. We've got a lot to talk about in the final hour. Give us a call, 303-696-1971. Text in on the 710 KNUS app. Jimmy in for George, 710 KNUS. To this conference or this country. After the race, I became leader and we had an opening for the ranking member on House Oversight. Jim didn't even apply for the job. I walked into steering. Didn't tell steering. I walked into the other room and I picked up the phone and I called Jim. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.